0: Hello and welcome to the inaugural podcast for the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We're calling this After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster in recognition that a lot happens in the publication of the quarterly newsletter and the monthly online updates that doesn't quite make it into the final publication. It also turns out that after we hit that print button, people keep releasing more information. Each quarter, we plan to sit down and talk with researchers, contributors, and special guests to take an expanded and more current look at our region's economy. We receive some fantastic and interesting questions via email and our website, cbr.ww.edu, and we may dig into some of those as well in these conversations. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter. But it's a team that makes that newsletter happen from our outside partners and our Center's Research Team to these two joining me today. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University with an impressive background in issues surround our regional economy. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research. Josh Grandbush is the lead research analyst for the Center where, among a long list of things, manages the forecast model for the forecaster. Josh often contributes many of the articles in the forecaster, including the leading reindex index analysis. The three of us are the content editors for the publication. So any mistakes you find that somehow slipped by, somehow got by all three of us. So with all of that, grab your beverage of choice. It is after hours after all. And let's take a look at what's happened since our December publication. I have the December 2019 issue in front of me, Hart. And I see the clever title of Wash, Rinse, Repeat for your regional outlook. It's been an exciting month since you wrote this. Coronavirus, impeachment, Q4 numbers keep coming out by the day. Anything out there to change your mind on what we should expect the next year or two in the region's economy? I'd say quite the
1: opposite. Uh, a lot of what's come out reinforces the idea of sort of the wash, rinse, and repeat. And remember, we were going to name it uh, some, some tag off the Groundhog Day movie and the Netflix Stranger Things series. <laughs> I mean, We've been going a year, two, saying the numbers look okay, but sometimes the but is the leading index is, has, has flattened out a little bit. And we're wondering, is it going to turn down? Uh, Are we going to get some type of geopolitical event? In other words, the numbers look okay, but the political news or something else is just unnerving. Um, We've been saying that for a long time. And yeah, we had the coronavirus come out. But look what China did with its stimulus. Uh, So again, the numbers keep supporting the economy. We, We do have that tension between the consumer and the producer side, right? Manufacturing Mm -hmm. numbers are down, business investment is uh, is down, Uh, but consumer spending, strong. So you get, can the consumer carry the economy? Uh, We've been saying that for a while. Um, Uncertainty, still there. Uh, Maybe not as much uncertainty around China, but now we have uncertainty around the election. So Mm -hmm. wash, rinse, and repeat.
0: What about national debt? We get a lot of questions about national debt. Should I be worried about national debt? Now, that's the stranger things.
1: It being in the upside down, if you know the series, uh, it's as if people don't care about the debt. And that's worrisome to me. I mean, at some point, that probably matters. Um, so whether you're looking at it on the monetary side, the stimulus coming there, tax cuts, uh, I don't think you have to worry for the next 6, 12 months or however, but in the long run, yeah, the debt's worrisome.
0: Let's talk about Boeing for a minute. Josh, Boeing's been in the news quite a bit. We've got issues with their 737 projects. We've got issues that have come up with their tankers for the Air Force, Um, among other things that have come up in the news in the last nine months, year. Um, Boeing is a major player in the economy. So how's that... um How does that impact the model and and kind of the forecasting as you're looking at the numbers each each month?
2: Boeing is actually a huge part of the model because it's one of the big things that differentiates how our economy performs from the national economy. So we look at their employment and we kind of try to figure out where we think Boeing's employment is heading. Aerospace, not just Boeing. Yes, aerospace in general. But Boeing makes up a huge portion of that as the largest employer in the Puget Sound. A couple issues we've been dealing with recently, the backlog, that shows up in the leading index. Boeing's been making 737s up, in, up until December when they shut down their facility, but they weren't delivering them and they weren't getting lots of orders. So their backlog has become really skewed relative. It looks good, but it's not actually good underneath. So that, you know, there's a little bit of tension there. Um, we're not worried about Boeing per se. You know, they just got a $13 billion loan. Um, so they're gonna be, financing is fine, but we are worried about suppliers and not really in the Puget Sound area, although a couple mom and pop suppliers for the 737 are good, but so you have Spirit Aerosystems over in Kansas, um, you know, they've introduced voluntary layoffs and uh, we're wondering if that is gonna come back to the Puget Sound if Boeing has to deal with a prolonged 737 grounding beyond what we've already seen. For now, they are very committed to not laying anyone off. So we've put it into the model a little bit in terms of a downturn, but, but it's, it's not affecting it long-term. Anything beyond We don't try to massage the model very much. Very, very hesitant to try to say oh we think this might happen. Yeah, it's usually based off of statements from Boeing or you know other things we read in the news, but never just you know, I'm feeling like Boeing's employment's really gonna tank next year. I'm just gonna drop that in the model. We never we do not do things like that.
0: (laughs) So I think one of the concerns I've heard um, we've talked about in the past is that with the, with the suppliers that may be laying people off or, or changing their workforce for whatever reasons, those folks are going to find other jobs because finding jobs is... Well, I mean,
1: as tight as the labor market is, they probably will. Uh, so the uh, an interesting question is what happens when the suppliers want them back? In construction, right? In, in 2006, six seven, you had so many people working in construction as they slowly well, they got laid off with the recession. They slowly got other jobs as construction ramped back up.
2: Uh, that's been a tight labor market. Mm-hmm. Boeing may find something similar. Exactly. And I think, um, especially with the 737 suppliers, we, we've seen some stories of Boeing working with the suppliers to kind of help smooth over this period, because, you know, the FAA has come out and said this may not be as long as Boeing said it was because Boeing is now being conservative because they were being a little less conservative in their estimates before uh, when the 737 was going to be flying. So I I don't think it's going to be as bad as as the apocalyptic you know predictions, but um, definitely worse than we thought of a year ago.
0: Let's let's talk about workforce. We've had several articles this past year related to workforce and we really do appreciate Annalise Van Sherman from Employment Security Department and a lot of her thoughts um, around workforce issues. But in the most recent issue, we looked at occupation growth by education level. So Josh, in the models, we look at unemployment and projected growth in employment. But isn't there really more to this than what's typically covered in the news cycles?
2: Definitely. The unemployment rate is what gets all the headlines. And I think one of the most interesting things about economics right now is kind of looking past the unemployment rate, because we're in an era of low labor force participation. So we have, you know, it's like three percentage points below where it was before recession. So it was like 66%. Now it's 63% for labor force participation overall. We've seen the working age population, you know, 18 to 54 recover, but not the overall population. Now, part of that, is baby boomers retiring. But this is one of the big reasons we haven't seen wage growth, although we've seen such a tight labor market like we were talking about. At least that seems like what it is from from our perspective. Um, In Seattle, we definitely see some wage growth. You go beyond the urban centers, the unemployment rate can be low and there won't be any. And in fact, inflation has also stayed low, which is really interesting because that's usually a result of wage pressure. Coming back to Boeing, just for a quick second, you know, we're, we're a bit worried about manufacturing right now in the country, manufacturing jobs. The, the industry has been in a little bit of a recession if you look at the um, purchasing managers index. But in the Puget Sound, that stayed relatively strong. And I think that's what's so worrisome with with the supplier issue is that manufacturers will be hit hard here when they haven't yet been.
1: Back to that unemployment, the, the standard headline measure of unemployment doesn't cover how many jobs are you working? Are you working part-time versus full-time? So there's a lot
2: behind the numbers. Yeah, job quality is not addressed by unemployment rate at all. It's just a, you know, there's a problem with averages, especially of large populations. We're not getting the whole picture. The last thing about manufacturing is we've actually noticed um, the share of manufacturing jobs that need a college degree go from 20% to 40% between 91 and today. Um, that was in a recent Wall Street Journal article and, and study. So it's nationally, not necessarily. Yeah, Puget this, Puget. this is nationally, not just Puget Sound, but it does illustrate how even jobs we thought were high school level or maybe, you know, a technical degree now need bachelors. You know, a lot of manufacturing is chemical manufacturing or, uh, you know, har- uh, computer hardware manufacturing that requires more education. And that's not going to go away.
1: And if not a bachelor's, maybe some certificates, uh, so mm-hmm. just the, the qualification yeah. hurdles. James, I want to turn the tables. You've been able to ask the questions. And when, when we get questions about retail data, you're the guy that calls DOR, has the contacts. Uh, so 70% of the economy, roughly, right, supported by consumer spending. So the, the consumer and are they are they spending? Are the, is the retail side holding up? Uh, that's sort of your area in the forecaster. So Macy's announced uh, significant store closures. Target sales, you know, when you think about corporate earnings, uh, lower sales than expected. Uh, everybody's talking about e-commerce and Amazon destroying uh, You know, you wrote an article about retail transitioning to an experience-based uh, activity. You know, how do you bring people into the malls, whatever. Um, what have you seen beyond the last article you wrote? Or if you got to expand on that uh, a little bit, what would you say?
0: I think I would start with the fact that the Q4 numbers, as they've come out this last couple of weeks, have actually surprised me a little bit. They've been stronger than I would have expected from the initial numbers we were seeing um, at the beginning of, of January. Um, definitely, Amazon and the online and the online world have come in with very strong numbers, but a number of the brick and mortar stores have also come in looking pretty good. Um, so consumer confidence has continued to to stick with that, which is which is good. Consumers continue to make retail retail decisions like they always have. They vote with their dollars without any kind of clear consensus as to preference. We all like to shop in our own ways. We're all unique like everyone else, I guess, is the joke goes. But people do. People make their, their buying decisions based on different things. So grocery shop. Josh, you may want to go into the grocery store. Hart, you may want to do the pickup outside. I may want to have it delivered. Those are accounted for differently. Josh, going into the store and you picking it up are probably counted as though it was a brick and mortar store. But my buying it online and having it delivered as an online sale came from the same store. And so the data is also confusing a little bit in in some of this um, setting, which is hard. But, you know, it all comes down to customer niches, which is what we always teach in business school as a business. You decide what your core market is or your niche is and you exploit it or take advantage of it, or whatever the the touchy-feely word is that you like. But businesses have to do that, and that was the point of the article, is that businesses need to focus on that customer experience if they want to capture customer dollars. Because there are customers that are definitely dollar-driven, but you have to have the experience that feels like it's dollar-driven. So Walmart has the bigger racks, have the dimmer lights, has people wearing the ill-fitting smocks. That's all image. That's all to make it feel like it's cheaper. Um, as opposed to Nordstrom with the nice lighting and the smaller racks and the even more more individualistic feel to it. It's just to make it feel like it's it's worth more. And so we really have to think about how customers are going to react to these businesses and and how they continue to vote with their dollars. It's interesting about Nordstrom in New York. Now, we mentioned this in the article. We wrote the article. They had just announced that they were opening this flagship store in New York, which is really exciting because, you know, you think about, Amazon's eating everybody's lunch, supposedly. And yet Nordstrom is opening a, a huge storefront. Well, what's interesting, what's come out in the last couple of weeks is they're actually going to have a portion of the store in in what is use secondhand upcycle. They'll come up with some kind of fancy word for this. I'm positive. Fancy again. Fancy, right? Right. Fancy again. Um, But they're going to have, but they're looking to capture a piece of the market space that they're not able to capture currently. So currently we have an incredible secondhand business going on inside Facebook and inside a few um, websites that people are very, very actively buying and selling clothing of labels and, and of the value variety that Nordstrom would sell but at a lower price point and so it's a very interesting way for them to exploit a potential market space for them um, and so to wrap up kind of retail sales from from my side things that I, I kind of keep my eye on so I, I get to drive around a lot and and have meetings all over the region and, and do talks with, with different organizations and so to pass the time while I'm sitting in traffic which is another great economic indicator uh <laughs> I will listen to the radio or satellite radio, whichever kind of hits my, my fancy on the dial. And I'm amazed by the, the variety of ads that are run during daytime in those. And it and, and as we have gone from 2008 to today, those types of ads have changed. And so for fun, dear dear listener, you may want to just listen to ads and think about who that advertising is targeted towards. Because people that buy radio ads, whether it's satellite or, or over the air, they have an immense amount of research to tell them who's listening and what is going to resonate with them in a very large scale because it's, it's wide mass marketing. And so if they feel that something, whether it's uh, do you have more than $10,000 in IRS taxes, that should tell you something if you hear a lot of those ads. That means they think a lot of people have those needs. And if we really do have a lot of people with those kinds of needs, I get more concerned about consumer spending because I'm worried about a lot of debt relief ads and things that I might hear. So it's always interesting to listen to the ads and see what's
1: put the James McCafferty ad leading index component in the model. Oh, definitely. I already track it in my
2: spare time. (laughs) Um, You know, speaking of the consumer... You know, we, we get lots of questions from readers, um, and one of them ties to consumers specifically, and that's with China. You know, we uh, the trade war has both impacted our economy more and less than we expected, and I guess I just wanted to put the question out to the two of you. Um, any thoughts on the Phase One trade deal? Uh, does it does it mean anything? Are there going to be impacts?
1: Well, I mean, impacts in terms of everybody hit a pause button, and and hopefully, now China's already come out and said. That with the coronavirus, there's going to be a slow to some of the, the buying. But if you reduce the uncertainty, um, yeah, the, the pessimism is there are a lot of details that they haven't, haven't addressed, right? So not mm-hmm. think there's a trade a phase one
2: deal that's done. It's, it's really just a, we're on hold. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of the whole Brexit thing recently where everyone's like, oh, we've, we've accomplished Brexit, but there's still a year worth of trade talks to happen. Uh, it seems yeah, like it, the same thing with China.
1: You know, the Trump administration... Didn't want lingering discussions of tariffs and what it could do to the economy with the election coming. China wanted a a break, so it's really a pause. But it's a pause with China's state saying they will purchase, you know, X dollars in agriculture goods and and other things that can help our region, whether whether the ag market directly or or others. So um, I don't think uh, there's a lot with the Phase One deal, but. Whatever there is, is
2: positive for now. That's good. Yeah, we're definitely one of the more trade-exposed states. I believe we are the most trade-exposed, but don't quote me on that
0: one. I think it's interesting tariffs because they don't impact all Americans the same way. Um, China
2: doesn't
1: pay
0: the tariffs? I've heard that China does not pay the tariffs. It's it's passed on to the, the end consumer, or a company has to take it in their margins, which means they're not paying their employees as much in theory, and so either way. It, it trickles down to, to home uh, for people. And so, because they don't impact people the same way, someone in a rural part of the country might actually be impacted far more than someone in a high wage area like, like Seattle. Uh, so, it's not a, an equitable either, um, and that's just something to consider.
2: Whether your business has the ability to, to shift supply chains or, or respond, yeah. Definitely. And, and that was the worry with the round of tariffs, I think, that was supposed to come in in December, um, that they were going to be very consumer electronics focus was going to hit right around the holidays um, and they they wouldn't be able to pass those costs on through there or they would sorry they would start to pass those costs on instead of higher prices yes exactly Um, well looking elsewhere around the world Iran was also a big topic in January it seems like a lifetime ago but it was Um, uh, you know there was (laughs) I think there was a spike in Google searches of World War III Um, so is there is there anything economically to think about with what happened in Iran do we do we have any thoughts there
0: well, you know, the, the previous administration had opened doors uh, to Iran and it had positive economic, you know, it allowed for sales from Boeing, for example. It allowed for all these different things, uh, commerce-related activities to happen. And th- those, of course, have slowed, and they've slowed for years now. So um, I think it's more the uncertainty that, that is introduced well, more sure. than...
1: The uncertainty uh, with a hint of fear... Um, you have to think also about the Straits of youth and, and just uh, oil
0: traffic. Uh, so there's there's the opportunity for some economic disruption. I think the big thing on all of these pieces we have to keep in mind is we have a lot of businesses in the Puget region that rely on labor um, either short-term or long-term that are not domestically created. Uh, we have a significant shortage in very specifically skilled uh, educated people we need for the workforce here to make our economy work, and you know people like Microsoft and Amazon will pick on will pick on the big big players. But there's hundreds of companies that are all looking for employees that don't exist within the United States, and so they're looking to locate people from other countries. The more uncertainty you have around those people being able to come in and leave and come back to the country as, as they live their lives, the more likely companies are to look to. Put those jobs in other places. We've we've tracked eight thousand some jobs that would have probably been likely to show up in the Peter Sound region that are in Canada now instead, um, simply because the employees did weren't reliably being able to cross the border on a, on a you know an easily um, manageable process. And real recently here we, um, with Iran specifically, we we had challenge with the border again, which is challenging some of these very highly prominently usable. Um, technological workers that we don't have a domestic supply for. It's not it's not they're replacing good Americans' jobs. It's, there's no people that have those jobs because uh, we don't have the, enough people to go into those programs and, and learn that piece of education that's necessary. That's actually probably the bigger concern for the regional economy is more from, are we going to wind up having these companies move a lot of jobs, high-paying jobs, out of the area, just because of the uh, immigration. Throw those, that part
1: of their business outside.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, some of what you're saying is outside the purview of the forecaster, but it ripples through into who's attending certain colleges, uh, just uh, the training of workers, uh, especially in some of the engineering and other
0: exactly. of programs. Mm-hmm. So the next issue of the forecaster is right around the corner. So we uh, already have that in production. Hart, can you give us any kind of sneak peeks as to what people might expect in the next issue?
1: No sneak peeks on the forecast or the outlook, but certainly in terms of some of the topics that we've been discussing in the office, whether they've come through questions from, from subscribers uh, or just uh, those of us who, who work on, on the articles. A uh, lot of interesting conversations about income disparity. Uh, whether, you, whether you go towards income inequality and poverty in the big picture or just Who's paid what for different occupations within the region? Just the the, the the variation of, of income in the workforce in the Puget Sound region, uh, and then you can jump back to your consumer side, you know, because the buyer and the worker, right? Same person. Oh, yeah. There's there's that. <laughs> um, digging into manufacturing, right? We started off the podcast with a with a, uh, a comment on the that tug of war between the consumer and the and the Especially the manufacturer uh, we want to look at manufacturing in, in the region because we have uh, a little more manufacturing in terms of percent of employment things in the region than you do nationally. Uh, it's an important sector um, so we don't want to just say, oh, manufacturing nationally is weak. We want to dig in and, and talk specifically about manufacturing in, in the region uh, obviously in Boeing as well so uh, I don't know. Are you going to write
0: anything on the on the retail side? You know, we actually uh, been been playing with thinking about retail sales forecast scenarios. So uh, a few issues back, we we did a, we talked about different forecast scenarios on what may happen in the in the larger forecast, and we're looking at can we do the same thing and give some people some variance uh, in the different retail forecasts that go into the, the forecast as well, and what that might mean. Um, we have a lot of unknown around consumer behavior this year. Uh, so we'll we'll play with those numbers a little bit and and see if we can come up with some kind of sensitivity analysis around what we might might expect. You haven't mentioned the monthly updates. I haven't, Josh. Can you talk to us about the monthly well, updates? I sure we
2: can. At the end of January, we actually published three different monthly things. We have the real estate index, the monthly leading index, and current economic indicators.
0: And those are all available to people with online subscriptions, right?
2: Yes. Yes. So and the so the real estate index is actually published quarterly, but Current economic indicators and the monthly leading index you're going to find every month, and so what we've seen from those, which is you know kind of kind of similar to this, a check-in in between forecasters, the leading index has been showing a lot of positive growth. Um, kind of what you're saying uh, hard about wash, rinse, repeat, not a lot different expected this year. I will say the Boeing backlog index, which is a component of that monthly leading index, is skewing things a little bit, but durable goods sales, you know, a measure of consumer spending, have been really strong and they've kind of been carrying it while certain labor force uh, metrics like unemployment insurance and things like that are showing a little bit of weakness. But you jump over to the current economic indicators, which is kind of a overview of uh, all the economic metrics at the time. Um, Labor force growth has been really strong in the region. Aerospace has been a little weak, especially with um, the past couple months with Boeing, but overall we're seeing a lot of growth over double what we see nationally. Um, in the region. So great news there. Housing market is also kind of on the rebound, which is, which is <coughs> interesting after um, the year we had starting in late 2018 through mid-2019 of dropping home prices in Seattle and stuff like that. That has turned around entirely, and I think we're going to see that even more this spring. So lots in the monthly.
0: That brings us to a close of this edition of After Office Hours of the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. This edition is made available to all subscribers, but will be part of the online subscription package through the end of this year, 2020. when We will announce new subscription packages to better represent our expanded content and features. Hopefully you've been enjoying the new website. Uh, We continue to expand the the resources that are there for you as well. So you'll get some information from us later this year about new subscription packages. Ironically, Hart, you're an economist, so the, the forecaster here hasn't had a subscription change in 27 years.
1: Josh said inflation was low. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so we uh, we we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to look at our own modeling with inflation and 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 see what we can do there. You can always reach us via our website cebr at or by email cbr.ww.edu, with questions, comments or if you're interested in having us speak at an event. And we do that a lot. We speak to a lot of groups throughout the year. Um sometimes with more than one of us or just one of us we're, we always are happy to talk with, uh, if you have an organization that's looking for an interesting speaker, we can sometimes point you to those as well, otherwise you'll get The Economist. Um, but from all of us here at Western Washington University, have a great day.